On Saturday morning, October the 7th, before I ever turned my television on, my dad called and said to me, have you seen what's happening in Israel? I said, no, sir, I have not even had the TV on. He said, put it on the news and call me back. And I turned it on and I saw what you saw. Hamas had invaded southern Israel. They were killing babies. They had uh, invaded a kibbutz. They were taking away hostages. They... uh, You saw it. You don't need me to recount all that, what they had done and how they had gone to that music festival down in southern Israel, and they were just shooting randomly people. No thought for life, no consideration for life. And it wasn't many hours after that 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 Prime Minister Netanyahu declared Israel is now at war with Hamas. Now, that happened on Saturday, October the 7th. Our group was scheduled to go to Israel the following Tuesday. 96 people scheduled to go. Obviously, that group, uh, along with everybody else's trip, was canceled. And you can't, go to the, you can't do that now. And so since then, our hearts, especially those of us, and I think everybody here is in this category. We all love the Bible. If you love the Bible, say amen. amen. We all love God. If you love God, say Amen. And we all love Israel. If you love Israel, say amen, right? It all goes together. And so our hearts have been very much there. Israel, such a special nation. Many of you have been there. I have been there. I've been there seven times, and I've been blessed with every trip that I've ever made to Israel. We know that God birthed Israel, and it has a history like no other nation in in all the world, in all the earth. It is a special nation. Jesus was born in Israel. He lived in Israel. He ministered in Israel. He was baptized in Israel. He was crucified in Israel. He was risen from the dead in Israel. He ascended back to heaven from Israel. And one day he's coming back to this earth from heaven. And when he comes back to the earth, he's coming back to Israel. And he will set up his throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. Israel is a very special place to God. It's a very special place to the Jewish people. It is a very special place to Muslims. It is a very special place to those of us who are Christians. Now, when Hamas did what they did on that Saturday morning, October the 7th, in their minds, and we know, by the way, let me say this at the beginning, not all Palestinians are supportive of Hamas. I have Palestinian friends in Israel today, and I have, and maybe you do too, Arab friends in our own country And we don't want to ever make the mistake of thinking that all Arabs or that all Palestinians are supportive of Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization within Gaza, within the Arab community. But it doesn't speak for all Palestinians, and it certainly doesn't even speak for all Arab people. But when that group of terrorists did what they did on that Saturday, they thought that they were starting a fight with Israel, and they were. But what they did not understand is they were also starting a fight with God. Now, I'm not saying that in any other way except biblically. In Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 8, God said, He who touches Israel touches the apple of my eye. And so God is protective of Israel and God is going to take care of Israel. And so last night, as I just felt led to talk about from a biblical perspective what is happening in Israel... I just started praying, and I started reading my Bible, and I started thinking, God, how can I try in the short amount of time that we have on a Tuesday and put this together in some 
reasonable and some simple and understandable way. So if you'll open your Bible today to the book of Genesis, it's the great place to start. It's the book of beginnings. And this whole thing about Israel began uh, in the book of Genesis. And so the first thing I would say today is that the conflict today in Israel is over the land. Now, I think we understand that. But what they're fighting about is the land. The Jewish people say, this is our land. The Holy Land is our land. God gave this to us. The Palestinians say, no, this is our land, and you, are, you have taken it away from us. And so the battle is over the land. But to understand that more fully, we go to Genesis chapter 12, and we begin in verse number one. The Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we always want to bless Israel because we want God to bless us. So Abram departed as the Lord spoke to him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now look down in verse number seven, because now the Lord appears to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. And so God has made a promise to Abram, to Ab- he became Abraham, to go to what we know today as Israel, as the Holy Land. And God said, that land is your land, and that land belongs to all of your descendants. I'm giving the land to you. Now go to chapter 13 and look in verse number 15. And notice what it says. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And so we're seeing the word descendants now appear twice. We see it in chapter 12. God said, this land is for your descendants. In chapter 13, this land is for your descendants. Now, the confusing thing about Abraham's descendants is this. Abraham's first son was named Ishmael. And the Jewish people and Arab people around the world would recognize Ishmael as the beginning of the Arab race, okay? So that's Ishmael. But then he had another son from Sarah, and his name was what? You know what his name was. It was Isaac. And so when it talks about God said, I'm giving this land to your descendants, so the Arabs say it came, it's Ishmael. That's our land. The Jews say Isaac. It's the, so there's confusion. Who are the descendants of Abraham? And that, that, that is at the heart of what is going on. So go to chapter 21 because we get some additional insight on this that helps us to understand the situation a little bit better. Now, in chapter 21, Isaac is born. By this time, Ishmael is about 13 years of age. And Isaac has been born. Isaac is on the scene. Isaac born to Abraham through his wife, Sarah. And it says in verse number eight, so the child, that is Isaac, grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham. Now that's Ishmael. And what was Ishmael doing? He was scoffing. He was laughing. He was mocking Isaac. Look at that little fellow there. He's just making fun of him. And so from the very beginning, 
You see, Ishmael is now making fun of Isaac, and there's this tension, and Sarah's thinking, Abraham, I know Ishmael is your son, but he's not my son. He's the son that you had with Hagar. Never mind that that was Sarah's idea for Abraham to go into Hagar like that. But at this point, it doesn't matter whose idea it was. She didn't like the fact that this son of Hagar is now making fun of her son. And so it's bothering her. And so in verse number 10, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. So Sarah's saying, send this boy away. Well, the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Abraham's thinking, Sarah, I can't send Ishmael away. He's my boy. Isaac is my son, but so is Ishmael. And you're asking me to do the unthinkable. You're asking me as the father of Ishmael, to just send him on. And so he was very upset about this. But look in verse 12. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of the bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. Doesn't every wife in the world like that right there? God said, whatever your wife said, do it. And most of the time, that'd probably be the best way to go. Whatever she says to you, you do what she says. Now, then notice what God says to Abraham. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. And so at the beginning, God is saying to Abraham, this land, this Israel, this holy land, I'm giving it to you and to your descendants, to your seed, to your offspring. But there's confusion. Is it Ishmael or is it Isaac? And right here, God makes very clear that the land is coming through Isaac. It's coming through that that lineage. And so let me just say this. God loves everybody. God loves Americans. God loves Israelis. God loves Palestinians. God loves Arabs. God loves everybody. But according to the Bible, the land itself belongs to the Jews. There's no question about that. It says, for in Isaac, your seed shall be called today. So the land belongs, biblically speaking, to the Jewish people. Now, here's what further complicates the whole situation over there. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm just putting it together. In the year 70 A.D., The Roman army invaded Israel. Titus was the general of the Roman army, and they invade the nation of Israel. They destroy the city of Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. The Jews have not had a temple since 70 AD. Many of the Jewish people were carried away to Rome, where they were later killed there. Jews, beginning at 70 AD, were dispersed all across the world. They ended up in Poland. They ended up in Germany. How do you think in the 1900s, all those Jews that were killed in the Holocaust, here's the question, what were they doing in Germany to begin with? They were there because they had been dispersed from their homeland. They had been dispersed from Israel. They are all over the world. And then what happens? God begins to do exactly what God had promised in the Old Testament. He begins to regather the Jewish people from from Russia from Germany, from Poland, from all over the world in a fulfillment of a promise that he had made. Now, don't look this up today, but let me just read out of Isaiah chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. God says this, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time 
to recover the remnant of his people who are left. Now, what is it talking about the second time? Well, you remember in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem, destroyed uh, the city and carried the Jewish people, many of them, to Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Then God brought them back. So those Jews came home. Now, here God is saying there's coming a day that my hand for the second time, this, this is what has happened in the last 75 or 80 years, to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and all the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations. Now listen to this. And will assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And so God made a promise hundreds of years ago. He said, one of these days, after I've already brought the people back from Babylon, hundreds of years after that, they're going to be dispersed again. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to bring them back to their land. I'm going to bring them back. And we read in the book of Amos that when they get brought back, they would never be dispersed again. Now, this is an amazing promise. So in the 1900s, what happened? Jewish people from all these countries of the world, little by little, started coming back to Israel. They'd been gone for almost 1,900 years. On May the 14th, 1948, Israel officially became a nation again. Now, I remember we were on one of our trips in Israel, and I can't remember what anniversary they were celebrating, maybe their uh, 50th anniversary or 60th anniversary, and our guide said, here we are celebrating our 60th anniversary, and yet the city of Jerusalem is over 3,000 years old. I mean, we were here that long ago, but for 1,900 years, there, the Jewish people were not in the land. So who was there? It was the Arab people. It was Palestinians. It was many Muslim people. And so they're thinking now, and by the way, they're called Palestinians because the land of Palestine. And so they're thinking the Jews are gone. This is our land. In 1948, the Jews are back officially. It is a Jewish state, a Jewish nation. And so the Palestinians feel like you now have taken over our land. And the Jews have, are saying in response, we're not taking over your land. God has given us back our land. But what I'm saying is the battle is over the land, and that's what the fight is over. So you can imagine having been out of the land for 1,900 years and now to come back, the ill will, the same tension that was between Ishmael and Isaac has been going on all the way. Now, here's a picture of the city of Jerusalem above me here. And you can see the Dome of the Rock. That is a Muslim mosque built in the 7th century. That, that mosque sits on the temple ground where Solomon's temple was built and later where Herod's temple was. And so you can see the tension. The Jews are thinking, how do we have a mosque, a Muslim mosque on the temple mount here? And the Muslims are thinking, the Arabs are thinking, when we built this in the seventh century, you, the Jews weren't even here. It was our land. And so there, there's very much a battle and there's very much a fight over that. So the conflict today is over the land. Now, you still with me? Say amen. amen. The second thing I would say is this. The stage now, the world stage, is set for a new world leader to emerge. You can see how the, how the table is being set, how the stage is now ready for the Antichrist 
after the rapture of the church, certainly we'll be taken up before this happens, but you can just see how close we are to the end, how the Antichrist will emerge, this charismatic world leader. He's probably, he's, I, I, I can't prove this, I may be wrong. I personally think he's in the shadows today. I think he's alive now. I just think we're that close to the end, but I may be wrong on that. That's just my, a conviction that I have, a belief that I have. But you can see how, you see Hamas, their stated objective is to destroy the nation of Israel and to establish that nation as an Islamic nation. That's what they're trying to do. The Jews now, have rightfully, they not only had an obligation to defend themselves, they had a responsibility and a duty to defend themselves. And so they have said, we won't sleep until this terrorist organization Hamas is destroyed. They're thinking if we don't stop them, they're going to kill more of our people, more of our babies. And so what I'm saying is there's no middle ground. Now there's no middle ground. Hamas says our objective is the destruction of Israel. Israel says our objective is the destruction of Hamas. There's no, there's no compromise to that. So you can see now how a world leader will emerge, charismatic world leader, and how he will say, listen, we can't go on like this. Everybody's going to kill each other. And so what we need to do now is we need to come together, and we need to have an agreement, and we need to make a peace treaty. And we read about this in Daniel chapter 9, that during the tribulation, at the beginning of the tribulation, immediately after the rapture, the Antichrist will get together with the Jewish people and the Arabs and make this covenant. And during that, part of that covenant will be to appease the Jews that the Jews can rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Now think about this. The Jewish people have not had a temple since 70 AD. Today, we may have Jewish people here today. You know what I'm saying is correct. Jews today don't worship in, a, in the temple. They worship in synagogues. But there's coming a day when the temple will, rebe- will be rebuilt. The Jewish people will then begin to offer sacrifices to God again, just like they did during Bible times. And so when the Antichrist says that, that is a huge concession to the Jews and the Jews will say, well, no, wait a second. He's going to let us rebuild our temple. Maybe, we should, maybe there's something we should listen to here. And he'll make similar concessions to the other side. And, they'll, and there's going to be this, this covenant and this treaty. And on one of our trips to Israel, we were touring on the southwestern side of Israel, the Jewish quadrant. And I've been, as I said several times, but it's the only time I've ever seen this. Maybe, maybe one other time we did this. We went and our guide showed us a secure location where the furnishings for the temple that will be rebuilt during the tribulation have already been set aside. The, the, the things, the basin, all the things that will be used for the sacrifices, the furniture that will go in the temple, it's already there. It, it, I mean, I'm telling you, the furniture is in Jerusalem today, and the guide made the point. It just shows us how close we are to the rebuilding of this temple. I mean, folks, think about this. If you have gone to Mattress Max and bought your furniture, you've got your bed and your couch and your, your big screen TV and your, your reclining chair. If you've already bought the furniture, it's just a matter of time till you build the house, right? I mean, you wouldn't buy the furniture that far in advance. And so the furniture is there and the house is about to be rebuilt. We know that halfway through the uh, seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist will break that covenant with the nation of Israel and he will turn on the Jewish people because the Antichrist is literally Antichrist, and he's anti-everything associated with Christ. 
You wonder today, why is there so much hatred for Jewish people? I'll tell you why. Because it's inspired by the devil. First of all, there shouldn't be hatred for any group of people. But the Jewish people remain a, a, a very uh, marginalized and a very hated group of people. So the Antichrist will emerge and promise peace. Three and a half years in, he turns against Israel and bad goes to worth, worse. And we know that at the end of that time is the battle of Armageddon when Jesus comes back and he ends this war very quickly. Let me just read this to you. Then I have one other thing I want to say, and then we'll be done. Now, John had this vision of the battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. This is Jesus. He was clothed with a white robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so when Jesus comes back, the Antichrist will be in that battle, and boom, in just a split second, the, the, with a word, the, the sword of the Spirit, you wonder, what is the devil going to say? What is, what is Jesus going to say to the devil? What is Jesus going to say to the Antichrist? One of my favorite preachers says, he said he thinks he's going to say two words, drop dead, and the Antichrist is finished. On one of our trips to Israel, we're standing in the, in the valley of Megiddo there, and, um, and we're just looking at where this battle of Armageddon will take place. We have a picture here, and I want to just make this point. That, that big plain there in the middle, that's, where the, that's the valley of Megiddo. That's where this battle will be fought. The Antichrist will have assembled his followers, and they're coming there to challenge and to fight God, thinking now they can take God himself on, and Jesus comes, and he ends it just like that. To the right over here, if you look at about 3 o'clock, is the city of Megiddo. In Old Testament times, it was a place of pagan worship. There they offered their children to their false gods. It was evil personified. On the left side, maybe at about 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, is a little town called Nazareth where Jesus grew up. Now think about that. To the right, Megiddo. To the left, Nazareth. My favorite trip to Israel was in 2006. Our guide said to us as we stood in that valley, he said, thousands of years ago, Satan is over here in Megiddo having a heyday, pagan worship, child sacrifice. A few years later, Jesus is growing up in Nazareth, running up and down those hills with his friends and with his brothers and sisters. He said, on one side of the battle, evil, Satan, the devil. On the other side of, the, of that valley, Jesus, purity. Love and holiness. And he said this, one of these days, they're going to meet in the middle. And he said, when they meet in the middle, Jesus is going to put the Antichrist down for the final time. What is happening in Israel today? I'll tell you what's happening. They're fighting over the land. The stage is being set for the Antichrist to emerge. And we're getting closer to that time when Jesus comes back and makes everything right. But before any of that happens, the rapture is going to take place. And I'm asking you today, this is what I felt led last night just to ask you. If the rapture happened today, do you know for sure that you're ready to go up and see Jesus face to face? Amen.
Father, we don't understand it all, but we do believe that prophecy is being fulfilled before our very eyes in the Middle East. Thank you today that we could take these moments and think about it. We pray for the nation of Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And God, we pray today for the Arabs. I pray, Lord, for Hamas, that you would convict them, that you would stop them, that they would release these hostages, that they would have a change of heart, that their eyes would be open. And we pray this for the Jewish people too, and that their eyes would see that Jesus Christ is our only hope, the Savior of this world. Now, with your head bowed and eyes closed today, if you've never been saved or you're not sure that you have, just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian, a true Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Father, I thank you that once we've prayed that prayer and trusted Christ, we're on the winning side, and I pray, God, that we'll trust you all the way to the end. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen.